Uh, Take your copy of God's Word today. Join me in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11. Uh, We're still um, a little ways out from preaching through the book of Nehemiah. That will happen in weeks to come, but today we're going to look at a very familiar passage. In fact, I would say it's probably familiar enough that most of us could quote it from memory. It is Matthew chapter 11, and I want you to notice with me verse 28, 29, and 30, and I want to speak to you today about the incomparable Christ, the incomparable Christ. He compares to no one else. There has never been anyone like Him, nor will there ever be anyone like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is truly incomparable in every way. Sometimes we read these verses for my text today as if they are verses that just talk about my personal burdens and our personal needs. But that is not the total context of this. It is really how this incomparable Christ can step into our lives during all the troubles, all the hurricanes of life, and He can lead us through and allow us to experience His grace. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, the incomparable Christ. Follow with me in your copy of God's Word, verse 28. These are the words of Jesus, and He says, Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just a month or so before Dr. Billy Graham's 93rd birthday, he was invited to Charlotte, North Carolina for a luncheon in his honor. Because of his situation in dealing with Parkinson's disease, he really um, hesitated about going to the luncheon, but finally he decided that he would go. Uh, He was given many accolades, many well wishes, and many uh, glowing remarks about his many decades of ministry. And then they invited him to come to the podium and share just a few brief thoughts. And when he came to the podium that day, he looked out over the crowd and he told a story about uh, an event that took place in the life of Albert Einstein many, many years earlier. He said Albert Einstein was on a train one day, and as he was riding this train to a particular destination, the conductor came down the aisle, and he began to ask for individuals' tickets, and he was punching the tickets and then returning them to the passengers. And as this conductor approached uh, Dr. Einstein, he began to feel through his pocket, and he couldn't find his ticket. Uh, Einstein went to his next pocket, and again, he couldn't find his ticket. He went through his briefcase. He couldn't find his ticket. And to all of this, the conductor was saying, well, Dr. Einstein, that's okay. You don't need a ticket. I know who you are, uh, and that's okay. You don't need a ticket. And the conductor went on about his way. But still, Einstein just could not let it go. As the conductor turned and looked back behind him, he saw Albert Einstein on his hands and knees looking underneath the seats of the train trying to find his ticket. And again, the conductor came back to him and said, Dr. Einstein, listen, don't worry about it. He said, you don't need a ticket. I know who you are. And he said, Dr. Einstein looked at the conductor in the face and he said, well, young man, I know who I am and you may know who I am. The problem is I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Well, Dr. Graham told that story and he closed out with these remarks. He said, see the suit that I'm wearing? It's a brand new suit. You know to what occasion it is? This is the suit in which I will be buried. But when you hear that I'm dead, I don't want you to immediately remember the suit I'm wearing. I want you to remember this. I am not only, I not only know who I am, I also know where I'm going. 
May your troubles be less, your blessings more. May nothing but happiness come through your door. Life without God is an unsharpened pencil. It has no point. May each of us live our lives so that when our ticket is punched, we do not have to worry about where we are going. As we look today in these final few verses of Matthew 11, we're going to look at this incomparable Christ who gave Dr. Billy Graham that deep-settled confidence that he would know when it came his time to die that he knew for sure where he was going. In fact, the words that are written on his tombstone come from John chapter 14. The words of Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So let's move through this today as we look at the incomparable Christ. First of all, I want you to know that he is totally incomparable in the problems that we face. All of humanity face some of the same problems. Notice what Jesus said. Come to me. Now notice, this is the problem we face. All you who labor and are heavy laden. Most translations, the more modern translations will say it this way. All of you who are weary and burdened. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. Please note, these are not one and the same. Weariness seems to speak to the internal factors of life. Those are the things that get weighed down into our emotions and into our heart and our soul, and they draw the joy out of life, and they bring a weariness to our heart and to our soul. A burden, on the other hand, has more to do with the external factors of life, and it is the picture in the Greek, actually, of a, of a burrow, a beast of burden that is carrying a heavy weight, a heavy pack. You've seen, uh, perhaps, pictures of, of villagers who will load a burrow or a donkey down with heavy weight of packets, uh, packages uh, of supplies that this donkey or this burrow is to carry to a particular location. That is the picture here. A burden that is just a heavy weight that is on your shoulders that you are carrying. That burden can make you emotionally tired. It can make you physically exhausted. It can cause you to feel like you are spiritually spent. And I would say that everybody from time to time feels that way. Some of the greatest men in the Bible have gone through, through those times where they are just physically, emotionally, spiritually wrung out. Because they face the same kind of problems that you and I face. One of those men is mentioned here in Matthew chapter 11. His name is John the Baptist. What do we know about John the Baptist? Jesus said about John the Baptist that he is the, listen carefully now, he is the greatest man born of woman. Can you imagine having that kind of resume? That Jesus himself would look at your life and say he's the greatest person ever born? Here was John the Baptist who baptized Jesus who was the forerunner of Jesus, who prepared the way for Jesus. Six months older was Jesus' his cousin. And, and as he prepared the way, he would stand waist deep in the Jordan River and point toward Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man ever born of woman. But you find in the opening verses of Matthew 11 that John is going through what we would call a crisis of belief, the weariness on the inside. The burden on the outside had caused him to go ask some folk to find out if Jesus was really who he said he was. Let me show you. Go to verse number one of this chapter, 
And the, you'll note that the Bible says, It came to pass when Jesus made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed to teach and to preach in their cities. When John had heard, now notice this, in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Now maybe you're asking yourself the question today, well, why in the world is John in prison in the first place? John was in prison not because he did something wrong. He was in prison because of what he did right. John confronted sin, he spoke truth to power, and John paid a hefty price because of that, and it landed him in jail. Let me give you the story. You can find it recorded in Matthew 14, just a couple of chapters ahead of this, but for the sake of time, we won't read it, but here is basically what transpired. Um, the guy who was, who was uh, in charge at that time was a man by the name of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas divorced his own wife and married his brother's wife, his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. And John said to Herod Antipas, it is unlawful for you to divorce your wife and marry your brother's wife. Well, Herod didn't like that. Herod had him arrested. Herod had him thrown into the dungeon. Well, his wife, now Herodias, she disliked that even more than Herod did, and she wanted nothing more than John the Baptist to be executed. But now Herod, though he had thrown him in jail, really didn't want to execute John the Baptist. But nonetheless, he had him thrown into the, into the dungeon. John was held fast in stocks, not knowing for sure, probably knowing more of this than the other, that he would never see the light of day and that he would never get out of that dungeon alive. And that certainly uh, became the case. For example, in Matthew 14, the Bible tells us that it was Herod's birthday party. You know, the Bible mentions birthdays only two different times, uh, Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 40 and uh, John's, or, uh, Herod's birthday here in the story about John the Baptist in uh, Matthew 14. But it was Herod's birthday party, and he had invited all of the dignitaries in the surrounding area to come and celebrate his birthday party. It was a great feast. It was a shindig. In, in biblical proportions like the uh, experiences a few men would ever uh, witness. And John had all of the important people there. And the Bible says that for his birthday, his wife Herodias had her daughter to come and do a dance before Herod. And she danced in such a provocative manner that Herod became very interested in her, and he said to her after the dance, he said, oh my, he said, tell me anything that you want, and to half of my kingdom, it will be yours. So Herodias' daughter consults with her mother, and they come up with this idea. She says, what I want is the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Herod didn't want to do that, but what else is he going to do other than listen to his wife he sends the executioner down into the dungeon. He cleaves John's head from his body. They place it on a, on a platter, if you will, and they come up to the birthday party of, of King Herod, serving the head of the greatest man ever born of woman, John the Baptist. Before those events transpired, John was in prison and he felt like he would never get out of there without a body bag that his death was right around the corner, and he proved to be right. And in that moment, now listen carefully, on the inside, he became very weary. 
And on the outside, those external factors dealing with other prisoners around him, the bars on the dungeon cell, the executioner, all of those external factors, he became very burdened. And he says to his men who came to see him, go find Jesus and ask him, is he really the Messiah or do we need to look for somebody else? You remember that story? And John, like us, became very weary, very burdened, very troubled over the problems of life. When those problems come our way, we too get weary. Maybe it's because of spiritual attacks that you deal with. It's just a spiritual uh, battle that you engage the enemy with every day. Or it's other troubles in life that just seem to weigh you down. But we all have problems that we face. Let me give you a little subset of that first point. First of all, there are the everyday troubles of life that weary us. Events that in and of themselves are very minute. But when they add up, they really begin to weigh us down. When King Solomon wrote the book of the Song of Solomon, he said this. He said, it is the little foxes that spoil the vines. And the the vine dressers in those days, in order to protect the crop, would build fences to keep the uh, large animals out from ruining the vines. But King Solomon said, it's not the big animals that you'd have to worry about here. It's the little foxes that can crawl under those fences or can kind of wiggle in between the cracks in the fence. And those little foxes, he says, can spoil the vines. They can just ruin the crop, which tells me that it is the everyday troubles of life that just seem to make us weary. For example... You wake up in the morning, and you just feel blue. Does that ever happen to you? You wake up in the morning, and, and you don't really know why, but you just kind of feel, feel blue. You feel down. You feel discouraged. You may even wake up kind of grumpy. Does that ever happen to you? Someone say, Pastor Darrell, do you ever wake up grouchy in the mornings? I say, no, I just let her sleep. <laughs> so anyway, sometimes we wake up <laughs> and... And we just feel grouchy or grumpy or blue. And we really don't know, we don't know why, but it just kind of happens to us. And then you get up and you go to work and at work, things are not working the way you think they should. And maybe somebody who did not do what they supposed to do where you work has now created more work for you. And you're doing not only your responsibilities, but something that they were not responsible to take care of themselves. And it just adds more weight and more trouble to your plate. You leave work kind of dragging. On the way home, you find out you got a tire going flat. You pull into the service station to get them to repair it. You spend about an hour and a half waiting in line and waiting to get that thing fixed. And the ice cream that you bought on the way home is now melted. And you finally get home and you, you find out that your child has gotten in trouble in school. And then your spouse, they've had the same kind of day that you've had. And you kind of clash with each other and you just growl as you pass each other in the hallway and you just keep kind of growling. And all day long, none of those events that I've mentioned are very much by themselves. But when you add them on top of each other, it's like death by a thousand paper cuts, isn't it? It's just the little irritations, the bothers, the troubles of life that can just weary you down and get down on the inside. And if somebody would say, what's wrong? You say, I really can't put my finger on it. It's just a number of things that have really gotten under my skin. That's the everyday troubles of life, but sometimes there are enormous troubles of life that weary us. This is the kind of burden that is not a little irritant 
but is a major source of worry in your life. You go to the grocery store, you're buying groceries for your family, you get almost to the checkout line and you're adding up the cost and you come to the realization, I'm going to have to put some of these items back because I don't have enough money to get the groceries that I thought that I was going to get that my family is in need of. And you have to put some of those groceries back because you know that financially it is, you are strapped right now and the cars tore up and the kids need clothes and it's picture day at school and all of those expenses and you're in a financial obligation and you just kind of, you can't see your way through the darkness of that tunnel. That's a real burden, isn't it? That's a real situation that makes you weary and tired. Perhaps you are caring for an aging parent or grandparent and you're the primary caregiver and you're using all of the extra energy that you have to help take care of them. Or maybe you're dealing with a prodigal child. They're adults now or almost adults, living their own lives, doing their own thing, and you can see they're heading down the wrong road and that just burdens your heart. Those are not minor irritants. Those are big burdens. Job said, man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. So those are the problems we face. But secondly, I want you to look at the promise that we are given. Jesus said in verse 28, and I love these words, he said, Come to me, I'll give you rest. Come to me and I will give you rest. What a gracious promise from a gracious Lord. Martin Luther says he invites us with great kindness. Jesus promises to give rest to those who will come to him by faith. Really, there are two aspects. Again, if you want to make a little subset from that point. First of all, his godly nature assures us that he will keep his promise. If you go to verse number 27, notice what Jesus says. He says, All things are delivered to me of my Father, and no man knows the Son but the Father. Neither knows any man the Father except the Son, and he to whom whomsoever the Son will reveal himself. Of all that Jesus is saying there, what he is telling us is that he has a godly nature, meaning the way we really know God is that God has revealed himself to us. God has stooped down and revealed himself to us, but that's not the way Jesus knows God. Jesus knows God in a much more intimate way than we would ever know him because the Bible says that Jesus and the Father are one. The Bible says in the book of Colossians that in Him, in Christ, dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And the very nature of who Jesus is tells us that all of the promises that He makes to us in the Scripture will be uh, coming to pass. And He says, if you will come to Me, He said, I will give you rest. That is for the daily troubles of life, and that's for the big troubles of life. Listen to Proverbs 133. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Psalm 910. Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. So we have a great promise from the Lord that he will give us rest. His very nature says that. He is God. He holds the world in the palm of his hand. But secondly, I want you to note that his good name assures he will keep his promises. When you have an opportunity, go home and read the book of Revelation, chapter 19. When you read that, what you find is the return of Jesus Christ in the second coming, and he is putting down the armies of the Antichrist at the battle of Armageddon. And when John, the disciple John, 
pins down the book of Revelation, he describes Jesus in great detail, the return of Christ. He says his eyes are like the flame of fire. Now listen, this is not, this is not Mary's little lamb who was born in Bethlehem's manger. But this is, this is the thrice holy God of Israel coming back in the clouds to bring judgment upon the armies of the Antichrist. His eyes are like the flame of fire, the Bible says. On his head were many crowns. He's accompanied with the armies of heaven. And out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword. And John says this in Revelation 19. I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him, now listen to this, was called Faithful and True. Isn't that a wonderful name for Jesus? He is faithful and he is true. And all of his promises, his good name assures that he will keep every promise that he's made. So he says to us, come to me, you who are weary, you who are burdened. My promise is that I will give you rest. That means he is reliable. He is trustworthy. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we have the problem we face. We're weary. We're burdened. We're heavy laden, as the old King James says. The promise we're given, Jesus says, I'll give you rest. And then thirdly, I want you to note the prescription that's available. If you're listening, say amen. Look at the prescription. You say, well, Pastor Darrell, how do I get that rest? How do I appropriate that into my life? How do I make that real and take it off the page and put it to where I live? Jesus tells us. He gives a a prescription. He makes it available to us. Verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, it's the prescription. It's the prescription that's available to us. I read about one man who said, he said, I I was driving a Ford Fiesta. And he said, I left my prescription for Adderall in the glove compartment overnight. And when I came out the next morning, my car was no longer a Ford Fiesta, but now a Ford Focus. You think about that, those of you who know what Adderall is, all right? That's not the kind of prescription that Jesus gives us. He says here, take my yoke upon you. Look at the personal pronouns. I've circled them in my Bible. He says, come to me. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke on you. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. You'll find rest in your souls. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is the prescription for everybody who's weary and everybody who's burdened and everybody who's tired. First of all, look at the, look at the, uh, the yoke as a place of labor. If you'll see, he says, take my yoke upon you. You know, maybe we don't know a great deal about what a yoke is here in the 21st century. Uh, if you grew up on a farm, you know what that is. But a yoke was, was used to place around the neck of, say, a team of oxen to get them to pull in unison and to keep them uh, working together so that the burden could be shared. And here's what Jesus is saying to you and I. If If you put through life on your own, and you're juggling all of these everyday worries of life, and then all of these big burdens of life, it's going to wear you down. But if you'll let the incomparable Christ be yoked together with you, and he'll walk through these seasons of life, and he'll do life with you as you're raising your children. He'll do life with you as you're in your senior adult years. He'll do life with you in every stage of life that you're in. Then you're not going to be burdened down and weary and, and exhausted and beat up. You're going to live as a child as a child of the king. He says, my yoke is a place of labor. I have found, listen, I have found... 
I have found that when I go through times that are aggravating and frustrating in my own personal life or even worrisome and burdensome, I have found that if I engage myself in the work of God, that suddenly I get my eyes off my troubles and I can see with a different perspective. Listen, do you ever start feeling sorry for yourself and your troubles? I would encourage you, just visit one of our nursing homes and walk up and down the, the, the hallways there and to see people who may be there whose health has faded, people who are there who may be lonely, people that, who are there who may not, some of them may not even have family that would come and see them or demonstrate their love. I'll tell you, it doesn't take much to put, put life back in perspective. When you feel sorry for yourself or we get ungrateful, take a little journey down Brenner's Children's Hospital and look at all the little children there that are going through cancer treatments and all the little children there that are going through times of difficulty. I'll tell you, that'll bring you right back to reality, will it not? And help us to appreciate all that God has done for us. Usually when we complain, what we're, what we're doing is presuming on the grace of God. Friends, we don't deserve anything, but praise God for His great blessings that He's brought into our lives. Amen? So the yoke is a place of labor, but it's also a place of learning. Look what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you. He says, learn of me. When a farmer would hook a team of oxen together, if he had a new oxen, he would usually hook him with an older oxen that was more experienced, that could help guide and train and teach the younger one. Jesus says, just link up with me. Everything that you go through in life, Jesus says, I've already been there and I've already done that. And if you'll just link up with me, we'll navigate through life together. It is a place of learning. And the more you learn about Jesus, the more you grow, the more confident you become that all of the minor irritations of life or even the big problems of life are still in his hands and he's going to see you through and he's going to walk with you through everything that life throws your way. So we're going to land this plane here in just a moment. But you see the problem that we face. We all get tired and weary and burdened down. You see the promise that we are given. Jesus said, if you'll come to me, I'll give you rest. You see the prescription that is available. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. Link up with Christ. Finally, I want you to look at the person we know. Not just the problem we face. Not just the promise we're given or the prescription that's available. Look at the person we know. Verse 29, Jesus describes himself as, the King James uses the words meek and lowly in heart. It is also rendered, I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus is not harsh. He is not reactionary. He is not easily provoked. He is not angry. But I want you to know he is the most gentle, kind and loving person who ever walked this planet. Amen, church? And he says, come to me. When you're tired and weary, I'll give you rest. Because I'm gentle and I'm humble. Look at the gift that he offers in verse 29. This gift, he says, you will find rest to your souls. How does that happen? Twofold, very quickly. I think... It's not only a reference to the eternal life that he gives us, that when you get saved, he promises to take our soul to heaven. But it is also a promise to the Christian life that we have now. That it's not just a promise to get our soul to heaven, it is that, but it is also a promise to get a little bit of heaven in our soul while we live here now. That's the gift that he gives us. Jesus said, I've come that you would have life 
and that you would have it more abundant. That's the gift that he offers. And then finally, I want you to look at the grace that he offers. He says in verse 30, my yoke, it's not heavy. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And what we have to do in all the troubles of life is say, Lord, I can't go it alone, but I need the incomparable Christ to lead me through this. Now, I want to share with you in closing a, a word that is, it's around about a hundred years old now. We don't talk like this, I don't think, anymore to our own demise. Um, but this was back before um, life was kind of dumbed down. <laughs> uh, but listen to these words about the incomparable Christ written about a hundred years ago. So I want, you to, I want you to really listen to these words. They're not mine, but listen to this. I'm just going to read them for you in closing. It's called, One Solitary Life. 2,000 years ago, a man was born contrary to the laws of life. He lived in poverty and was reared in obscurity. He was the child of a peasant woman and worked in a carpenter's shop until he was 30 years old. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book, never held public office, never went to college, and never set foot in a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He possessed none of the usual traits that accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. In his infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature. He walked upon the billows as if on pavement and hushed the sea to sleep. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. As a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One denied him. He was given to his enemies and experienced the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property that he had on this earth, his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a barred tomb. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the centerpiece of the human race, and he is the leader of the column of progress. He never wrote a book, yet no library could hold all the books written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all of the songwriters combined. He never founded a college but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students. He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun. And yet no leader ever had more volunteers. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he has healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. How great is his influence? All history is divided by his coming, B.C. and A.D., the names of past leaders have long been forgotten. The great men of Greece and Rome are dusty names in the library of time. Scientists, philosophers, kings, generals, and theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man abounds more and more. And though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and the scene of his crucifixion, he still lives. Herod could not destroy him. The grave could not hold him down. 
He stands alone on the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory, proclaimed of God, acknowledged by the angels, adorned by the saints, feared by the devils, as the living, personal Christ Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. This is the Christ of the Bible. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the one in whom we have believed, and He alone is our Lord and Savior. Millions of Christians unite in worshiping in Him in every nation on every continent. He alone is Lord. Oh, that our hearts would sing His praise. God hasten the day until every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen, church? And this is the Jesus who says, come to me, all you who labor. Yes, all you who labor. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the incomparable Christ. Amen?